Welcome to Cricket Ultras on Lockdown. This is Arun Sudhaman and joining me is Darren Burns. Darren, welcome to the Love Cafe. Thank you. It's great to be in the Love Cafe with you. As you sit in your daughter's bedroom, I think, with um, little blue house, blue wallpaper and little houses on the wall, a little bit reminiscent of Katy Perry's performance at the Women's World Cup. Yeah, actually, it's that's what inspired me to, to, to <laughs> take up residence here. Those are actually, I think, bird houses on the walls. Are they? Oh, okay. Yeah, and... Um, and I think there are some owls. Everyone, everyone I talk to comments on the wallpaper. Um, yeah, well, no surprise. It's quite distracting. It is. Yeah, it's 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 quite trippy. Um, and goal talk. Yeah, that's the England women's football team. Oh, big favorite of my daughter. Got everything there. Pictures of puppies and cats on the wall as well. Those are mine. There's a flag there, I think. Uh, those are all mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found those more disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we need to talk about the Love Cafe first and foremost, I feel, because we are referring to The Test, the Amazon Prime documentary, which is, uh, well, you can call it a documentary. Some people might call it propaganda. We'll, we'll get to that maybe later on. I call it a mockumentary. <laughs> a mock- it very, is a mockumentary. Very good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, yeah, that's a good way of describing it. It's great. You know, it's it's a wonderful, wonderfully made, and all of that. We'll we'll talk through all of it. But um, I've got to episode four. I was I was just kind of enjoying this uh, this so called documentary. I was kind of thinking, you know, it's a bit like Xinhua News Agency or China's Global Times. You know, some, some really well made. Well, well-made storytelling to help rehabilitate the image of the Australian cricket team. And then out of nowhere, the Love Cafe exploded onto my screen. And I really don't know what to think anymore, Darren. I did a deep dive into the, uh, into the friendship between Adam Zampa and Mitchell Stoinis. Um, Marcus Stoinis. Sorry. I, it's a Marcus. Yeah, he's a Marcus. I did actually search Google for Mitchell Stoinis. And it, <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. How would you describe it to our listeners? It's man love par excellence. It's taking bromance to a different level. Um, Zampa admits that he loves Stoinis. They love each other. They painted their nails together when they went to the Allen Border medal dinner. I saw that. They fed each they other. They feed each other. On the red carpet. When they come off the field, often they'll embrace and kiss each other on the cheek. One of the highlights of the test, really one of the highlights, is the love cafe, as Arun just mentions. And that is every morning on tour, Adam Zampa is religious about his coffee routine. Yeah. And so what happens is the Stoin knows when to go to Adam's room in the morning for coffee. I guess he smells it or something. Zampa is meticulously preparing this coffee. He brings it with him. He measures it out. He puts a timer on. He makes this coffee for he and Stoin. They talk about the game a little bit. Yeah. But then they talk about music, don't they? and love and what's happening in life and they kind of relax and that's their routine. Yeah, and they, they play with each other's hair sometimes. They do that a lot. A lot. There's a lot of hair. There's a lot of hair to play with. There's a lot of hair. They both have great salads. I mean, Adam Zampa, he's got a hell of a barnet. He really does. And, and I guess why it's called the Love Cafe is that, you know, Adam Zampa explained making coffee to Justin Langer, the coach, of course, and he said to him, the most important thing when you're making coffee is... The most important ingredient is love. It's beautiful. I mean, I think Merv Hughes said a very similar thing when he was playing for Australia. 
I was really kind of impressed by their relationship and, and the way that everyone responded to it. And they have got some questions about it. And, 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 and Mar- Marcus has, Stoinis has said, you know, we just, we, we care about each other. What's wrong with showing that? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with showing that, of course. But it's a little surprising, I think, to see it in the Australian cricket dressing room, you know, which is kind of, you go back 20 years and you've got people like Dennis Lilly and Alan Border and uh, the wicketkeeper, what's his name? Marsh. Marsh? Yeah, yeah, Rod, Rod Marsh, right? Rod Marsh. Yeah, Rod Marsh. Of course, Marsh. You know, all these kind of real alpha males with the big moustaches. And they made Kim Hughes cry, Darren. Um, they did make him cry. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, don't want to be captain anymore. That's what he said at a press conference. <laughs> the poor guy. You try facing West Indies bowlers in the 80s. Yeah, but it's, it's such, a different, such a different vibe to that. You can't imagine this kind of behavior being tolerated in that dressing room. Yeah. There's this emphasis now in Australian cricket on being, they call them rare units. And, and these two exemplify that, sort of being themselves, not having to toe the line and be kind of one of these alpha males uh, anymore. So you can be an alpha if you want to, you can express yourself, you can be who you want. And I think that's kind of interesting to show that. Um, there's a great quote from Aaron Finch, isn't there, too? He says, he asked Aaron Finch, the one day captain, what he feels about, you know, Stoin and Zamp's close relationship. He says, I don't know, they're always holding hands and doing weird shit together. <laughs> I guess it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So I guess people have embraced it. You know, they obviously like them, and it's a real insight into the team. I think it's quite quite a highlight in the whole thing. It's not just an insight into the team, though, I was thinking. It's an insight into Australian society as a whole, I would have thought. It's, because it's very true. Because the Australian cricket team is massive. And one thing the test really brings home is how huge, and obviously we know how big the Indian cricket team is in India, but... It says something for Australian cricket to be the biggest sport in a sport-mad country, I think. And the Australian cricket team's place in that is kind of preeminent. And we know that, of course, because of the, the fallout from Sandpaper Gate. And so for this kind of relationship to be not just tolerated but embraced, I think is, is good for Australian society and also perhaps reflects you know, the, how far Australian society has come. Maybe it more aligns the cricket team and the whole, the whole eight-part series to the sort of zeitgeist in Australia, I think there was kind of a disconnect maybe about what's happening in most urban centres around Australia. Maybe it's that connection point now. And people feel that they're just... You know, the other thing that comes across is anybody who's played cricket can relate to this because this is the kind of shit that happens in dressing rooms around the world, right? When people lose games, uh, everyone gets on the line, they throw their toys out of the pram, there's arguments in the team. So there's, a, there's that sort of reality where people think that they actually sort of more highly paid than I am as a player, but I can relate to what they're feeling because that's what we do, right? Where normally you don't see inside the dressing room, you don't see what they do after they go off the field, right? But this, I think, highlights that a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, I think maybe it does. I mean, it, it really humanizes the players. That, so that is clearly one of my big takeaways from watching this is that this is not so much a documentary. I mean, you called it a mockumentary. I would say it's not so much journalism. It's really a post-crisis brand recovery campaign. It is. I was going to say it's classic communication. So if you look at what Cricket Australia has done over the last five years, whether it's through social media or the digital arm of their, of their business, they've been the leader globally. I mean, you can, you can stream apps, you can stream radio, uh, Sheffield Shield games through the app. You can watch a lot of the Big Bash through the app now. There's lots of little snippets, insights, videos that you can learn from. Um, there's stuff for the kids there. They've been really the leader here. And to me, this seems like the next extension in that, right? Yeah, agree. Um, Going on the reality sort of show path, 
getting those insights that players want to see, uh, the audience want to see. And you see the NBA doing it, you see footballers doing it, rugby league. People now want to get into the dressing room, whereas before that was kind of a place you didn't go. And so people want to be part of that as well. And I guess it does make them more likable for sure. I mean, after watching this, I felt that I liked the team more than I did before watching it. So uh, I was hoodwinked for sure. I think that's clearly part of the plan here is um, to humanize the players after Sandpaper Gate, to rebuild the reputation of the Australian cricket team, rebuild that connection with the Australian public, which was uh, really damaged by Sandpaper Gate. In the wake of Sandpaper Gate, and we talked about this extensively, I think, there was this feeling that Australian cricketers were just totally out of touch with um, normal society. They were in a bubble. You had people like Steve Smith really in the bubble. And I think they realized they needed to do some work on that. And that's so the test is, is the result of that. I think it's primarily intended for domestic Australian audiences, I would say. But having said all of that, it's brilliantly made. It is, I think, by far the would I say the best cricket documentary? I think it's the best characterization of cricket on the big screen in that it captures the rhythms and the realities of of international cricket, of cricket tours, of cricket dressing rooms in a way that I've never seen before. And I think it's it's wonderful the way that it's put together, the access you get, um, even just the match play you know, they they have some really good footage of Kohli when he's compiling his centuries, which, you know, really interesting to watch. Uh, all the stuff in the dressing room. And like any good, I guess, story, it has heroes. It has one very big villain so far, who's, who, who is Virat Kohli, I feel, like for the first few episodes. But that's fine. That's fine. Justin Langer does also say he's the best batsman he's ever seen in his entire life, which I thought was a was even my wife when she saw that said it was a big call. Yeah, and I think he was genuine about it too, right? I mean, the, the, the point you did get all the way through was that they were all genuine and authentic. You didn't get the feeling that they were trying to contrive for the cameras. No, no, I don't think so. Um, you felt it was quite honest yeah. um, discussion. And I think that's really great. You know, them sitting at the table when they're, all the coaches are there and the support staff and them talking to each other about different, different ideas, right? About how the team should look and which, which call should be made. It's quite authentic and real, I think. Yeah. So, as you might imagine, I have made a list of some <laughs> winners and losers. And you'll be happy to know I only have one loser on here. And, uh, you know, loser is a, a harsh word. Let's just say those who came out well, so far at least for me, those who didn't. But bear in mind. Let's hear it. I'm very curious as a, as a non-Australian what, who you think some of the winners are and why. Okay. So, first of all, the Love Cafe. Is a, is a big winner, I feel, in this whole thing. And, and <laughs> Is it campaign of the year? Did you give that campaign of the year? <laughs> yeah, at least, um, you know, experiential. I think it's, it's got all the elements of a, of a great campaign. Um, yeah, you could extend it to, you could actually make a real love cafe, right? When they retire, they could actually make a whole series of them. You know what? The they world. could easily franchise this across Australia. We should actually do that in India, in Australia. Let's make some love cafes. Yeah, it would be a great coffee shop. <laughs> You know, you could have Justin Langer doing his earthing and it could be all about, you know, meditation and coffee. Yeah, that, that hasn't come up yet. Sorry. Okay, the big... Okay, so you like the, you like the Love Cafe. Okay, that's, that's a winner. Okay. The big winner for me, it's a no-brainer really, JL, Justin Langer. I mean, he's the star of the show. Well, he's the main, main protagonist, isn't he? Yeah. It's really his story in a way, right? He comes in, 
it's really interesting to watch because he is very clearly kind of overcoaching, I feel, to begin with. The, the players are, I, I feel like they don't know what to make of him. He's so intense. I mean, I I kind of have a newfound respect for Justin Langer. He he just seems so intense, like he he thrives on pressure. I think that's very different from a lot of players these days. But if you think of going from Darren Lehman to Justin Langer, right? So I guess the guys who came from Western Australia where he coached, they were used to his style. But I guess the people from those guys had never worked with him before, they must have been quite shocked. But he's the coach Australia needed. He needs somebody who's strong yet empathetic. They needed somebody to be almost a leader. And it couldn't be about them working it out. Somebody need to really set the ground rules. And I think he's done that quite well. And over time, he's been forced to step back. I mean, one of the highlights for me is when Usman, Kawaja and Langer get, go at each other. I don't know if you've seen that part yet. That's in the, when he says that the players are intimidated. by. Yeah, I, I think that's brilliant. That, that's brilliant. And-, and there's a lot of F words flung around back and forth between them about net sessions. They're playing in Dubai, I think, the Pakistan series. And every time they get out in the nets, they're told they have to get out and change. So you know, normally when you bat, right, you bat for 20 minutes, half an hour, you know, you don't, you don't get out and then go out of the net, right? And he just breaks down on this, right? Yeah. And they go back and forth. And I think after that, you know, you can see JR cringe. He says that he respects Usman, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But Usman is very outspoken. And that kind of changes your opinion of Usman Khawaja. You think he's kind of a, like, easy to easygoing guy. And I saw him interviewed recently about him going at JL in the actual documentary. And he gave some really, a really funny response. He said, Uz, we were quite impressed with you, you know, speaking on behalf of the players. Do you, can you give anybody advice on how they might speak up to their captain or coach? And he said, I probably wouldn't do it again if the coach is a selector. <laughs> <laughs> and so as you know, he, he probably is not in good favor now. Yeah, which is a shame because he's actually next on my list of winners. I think Usman Khawaja, not a player I knew very much about. In fact, I've always thought he's been a bit too laid back. He really impressed me. Uh, he seems like a real grown-up. A lot of the players are in the bubble, and they're young. And, you know, it's people like, I think Hazelwood really struck me as being, you know, someone who's sort of raised in a greenhouse to an extent. And Manus Labashain, my God. I haven't got to him he's yet. He's in a real bubble. Yeah, but he's, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he looks like he was, like, raised in a greenhouse. But anyway, Uzi... He is, as you said, outspoken and uh, knows his own mind, is, is not afraid to tell anyone what he thinks. Uh, doesn't seem disruptive, as far as I can tell. No. And so he came out of it really well. Gerald Waitley, is that his name? Yeah. The journalist, I thought he came out well. Yeah, he's got a really broad Australian accent, but he did come out well, actually. He made some good comments. And, of course, Gideon Hay comes out of everything well, I think, and, and his comments are really good. I also have Pat Cummins written down here, but I don't know why. I can't actually remember anything he said, but I think he does come out of it. Well, he just seems like a really nice person. He seems like a grounded person. Yes, exactly. Down to earth. He's the most educated person in the team. You know, he's been, he's done university degrees. You know, when he was injured for so long, he seems quite a grounded, normal kind of guy because he was away from cricket for a long time with his injuries. So I think he's had a more life experience. Yeah. But I agree with you. He comes across as very grounded, you know, decent kind of person. And I... I quite liked Aaron Finch as well. I thought um, he came out of it well. He just seems like a, 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 a some slightly different character. I mean, that's probably the big takeaway is that this is not the Australian team of kind of chest-thumping alpha males that, that maybe mm. you would have expected um, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's, it's, you know, it's a different generation, a different era. Um, I guess that's 
that's something that Justin Langer's had to bear in mind as he tries to to be less negative and so on with them. And the final winner for me was Harsha Bogle's hair, which <laughs> is is it real? No, it's not. It's um, but it's resplendent. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's reborn. His hair. It's a real mop, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. It's, I didn't pay attention to that. I have to go back and look at that. I didn't really notice it. Well, I remember when he was bald. And, uh, you know, no shots, no shots at all. I think we all do, you all do what you need to do. That's right. Uh, and, and, but he's, he actually makes really good points as well. And he's got, he's just got a lovely kind of accent. Voice. And voice, yeah. He does, I yes. really only have Very one common. guy so far who doesn't come out of it well. Maybe you have more. The only person who I was less than impressed with is David Saker. When he does his big motivational shouting speech during the, I think it's in the test series. Yes, it's in the third, the fourth test after the first day, I think, in Sydney, when Australian, Australia's bowlers are really flat and India are like 314 for two or something ridiculous. And for some reason, I guess they decided that David Saker would let rip rather than J.O. And uh, he's really unconvincing. <laughs> Even the players are sort of looking somewhat quizzical. Rolling their eyes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Did you have any others? No, I didn't really have any. I didn't really have any. Um losers you know i had a few interesting moments though i suppose i mean i think the the, the moment when lion hands travis Hetty's test cap is very emotional oh, he starts crying i must confess i thought i i actually thought that was all a bit too much for me but no well, i think it's, it's i think as an australian you probably were, were you and were, i almost rolled up you did rolled up a little bit and when they sang underneath the southern cross no I, I, that turns me off <laughs> I guess if you're in the team, it's great. But, you know, if you're not in the team, it's a team song, right? If you're not in the team, you can't sing someone else's team song. Yeah. Right? Everyone knows that. I just couldn't get over how he kept calling him Heady. <laughs> yeah. But, but one of the, talking about singing songs, there's a, little, there's a little part there where Steve Smith is actually singing along to Jerusalem before he goes out to bat. Okay. Okay. The crowd is like, is like chanting Jerusalem and singing that song. And he's actually singing along with it, getting ready to go out to bat. I thought that was really interesting. And Smith comes across very interesting, doesn't he? He comes across almost stoically like a bit of a robot, right? He comes across as this sort of machine almost, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, I haven't actually, I haven't got to Smith, I must say, I must confess. So The other thing is that Ricky Ponting is an absolute god. If you didn't think he was before, everybody in the dressing room just wets themselves when they talk about him. Oh, Ricky this, Ricky that. And there's a really amazing scene where Ricky tears David Water a new one during the World Cup. So you've got to watch out for that one. He just lays into David Warner. F words are, are, are spoken. And after that, David Warner does very well, actually. But just how much they idolize Ricky. Um, it's quite scary. I can't imagine that's a huge surprise that he's held in such high esteem. This whole generation would have grown up with him as the greatest, you know, as one of the top two, three batsmen in the world, right? Sure. And then I think this Steve War you know, hanging around the dressing room is very funny. He's a, he's a man of very few words. He says, you know, at any time he'll say three things. When um, Steve War gets hit in the ashes, he says, you better get someone out there fast. Oh. <laughs> and things like that. It's about all he says during the whole thing. And he comes across, as we always know, as a very soft-spoken, quiet man, man of few words, strong, silent type, as they used to call him. Matthew Hayden's shirt. I don't know if that stayed with you. There's a moment when Matthew Hayden turns up in the nets when they're trying to help Aaron Finch. This is in India. And uh, Matthew Hayden's wearing just a remarkable kind of multicolored shirt. 
and really looks like he's just walked on, on into the nets off the beach. Off the beach, yeah, we did. Pro, uh, you know, and <laughs> but he, he was in England, and, and, and he actually <laughs> gives some really good batting advice to to Aaron Finch. So, so, um, so yeah, good. Watch for the him. ball. Um, but yeah, overall, I think, uh, and obviously for all of us who are on lockdown, I think the the test is required viewing for cricket fans. I don't think you'll get such a great insight into how a cricket team functions. And of course, we all have plenty of time on our hands and we're looking for things to watch right now, I guess. Anything more on the test, Darren, or we'll go on to some other things that our listeners can... One closing thought yep. when I was watching this and looking at it. If, you know, I guess Justin Langer is to cricket coaching like David Brent is to office management. There's, there's quite a few funny little things there. Okay. And he keeps talking about how good A Star Is Born, the yeah. movie A Star Is Born. Is. He mentions that several times and yeah, it's quite obs- funny. He's obsessed with it. Uh, and you know, all his little nonsense about elite honesty and all that kind of elite stuff. So he has, has a David Brent, David Brent moments that are quite funny and a bit cringeworthy. He does, but he, he believes in it all so much. He does. And I think... Well, David Brent does too. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I right. do think David Brent well, this is this is quite a digression. I do think David David Brent has a, just a tiny bit of self awareness that that no one likes him, and you know he's you know. Whereas I think Justin Langer is like he is he's so fervent. I mean, he believes in it all. He's he 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 goes for swims in the ocean, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, yeah, he's he's a interesting guy, Justin. Langer. So I, I give it four point five stars out of five. Yeah, I mean. I would probably take off half a star for the way they, they treat Virat Kohli. I feel like um, this was, uh, unnecessary. unnecessary. Oh, I saw a lot of Indian um, articles complaining that they don't mention how Virat Kohli told the crowd to calm down during the World Cup. Yeah. But they should have had, you know, Virat in there. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it's not, it's not a documentary about Virat, is it? But I guess having set him up as the villain. I think the, the good argument was they wanted to know how the Australians felt about that. Not, not so much show that, but what they felt about him doing that. Did it make a difference on how they felt about Virat? That's a fair point. I'm sure a lot of Indian fans feel there could be more of Virat in this series. <laughs> or Tendulkar or anybody, yeah, right? Like, Any like Indian player. A whole, a whole series. A whole, a whole show on a it. A whole show. Yeah. I tell you, Virat's batting, though, it's, you know, you forget. I think especially after the New Zealand series when we've been talking about how he's so out of touch. And then you watch him batting in this series and you're like, my God, he's like on another level. It's really quite, quite amazing. Okay, so that's the test. Let's, um, so we're going to do this, I think, in two parts. Uh, we're going to talk through some documentaries, films, videos, YouTube channels that our listeners can entertain themselves with while they while away the long hours of flattening the COVID-19 curve. And then maybe on the next show, we'll go through books, which I think will require more time because, as we've mentioned, cricket is is something that I think is written about far more than it is showcased on the big or small screen. I think traditionally that was right, but I think more and more we're seeing... Yeah, more and more we are, but there's so many cricket books. There are so many. Well, every every man and his dog, every ex-player writes a book, right? So that's it right there. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many good cricket books as well, though. Not just... Not, <laughs> not just. Yeah. There are some really bad ones, too. we got to talk about the bad ones, too, where you just read, like, one... You start reading the, you start reading the inside cover or the first page, and you're just like... Like Shane Warne's books. Yeah, and I think... I mean, you know, I think Jimmy Anderson has one as well, and the Flintoff, and... Um, 
you know, all these guys. So, okay, let's go, let's go to docs. Let's do this one by one, shall we? So you give me one suggestion and I'll give you one. Okay. So of course, you know, Fire in Babylon came out in 2010, I think. Rave Reviews, it's a British documentary about, of course, the strong West Indies team of the 1970s and the 80s and how they built up under Clive Lloyd's leadership. And of course, they had amazing players like Michael Holding, Viv Richards. Um, It kind of charts the growth from the Caribbean cricket and how they play there in the West Indies all the way through to them thriving on the global stage in the 70s and 80s. You know, I grew up obviously in the early 80s and I remember watching the West, West Indies attack and sort of being scared in front of the TV watching you know, Graham Wood and Bruce Laird go out to bat late on day two after West Indies had scored 500 and then having a barrage of bounces and having five slips, two gullies, a man at short leg and just being barraged with short pitch bowling and fierce and fierce and bowling by all five bowlers. Um, I think that brings that and creates that t- to life so strongly. So I would recommend anybody to watch Fire in Babylon. Uh, definitely a must-see, I think. Yeah, and it w- also worth noting that that is... There, there's a book on which it's based, if I'm not mistaken, and the book is also really good. I think goes into brings in a few more of the other bowlers in the book because if you remember, there was, you know, you say five, there were there were probably ten. Yeah, the backup bowlers were pretty good, weren't they? Well, yeah, you had you had, <laughs> you had Patrick Patterson and Ian Bishop, Courtney Walsh, Kirtley Ambrose coming in towards the end of the decade. And Colin Croft earlier on. Colin Croft, Roberts earlier Wayne on. Daniel. Big Joel Garner, Big Bird. Yeah, he's, well, he's one of the, the big five, isn't he? Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Clark, I think, was also. Sylvester Clark, sorry. Um, so, that, you know, there's quite a few others. I was making a that, joke. That are, but, yeah, it's, it's wonderful and, and a good reminder that um, the West Indies team remains the most successful ever sporting team, right? Did not lose a test series in 16 years which is the best in any sport. Um, and, and I can't imagine we'll ever be, ever be bested. Okay, right. So from my side, I will go with Death of a Gentleman as a documentary. Came out, I think, around five years ago. It's by two cricket journalists, one of whom I think is quite well known, Jared Kimber, uh, Australian. The other is Sam Collins, a, a Brit. And it, it's really a look at uh, corruption in cricket. Um, it's more about the ECB, the BCCI and Cricket Australia and the way that they have kind of taken over uh, international cricket and, you know, ensured that they get a lot of money out of it. And in many respects, to the detriment of the growth of the game. It's very long. I think it could be better edited, but it's got some really good moments in it, particularly when they... The, the interview with, uh, oh God, what's his name? Giles, Giles Clark, the ECB, the EC, the former ECB chairman. Yeah, he, I mean, I the, that's right. Yeah, Giles Clark, yeah. The interviews with him, also with the uh, Indian Cricket Board chairman, are also very instructive. But with Giles Clark, I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, he's just a guy that is just dripping with pomposity and privilege. I must admit, I haven't watched that. How can our listeners watch it? Where do you where do you watch it? It's it's worth watching. It is a bit long, I would say, but it is worth watching and sticking with. And if only because it's a really important story. I think the whole story of of how these three cricket boards kind of colluded to take control of the international cricket game is is really important. 
I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your next one, Darren? Well, my next one, I must say, I'll talk a little bit about Rob Linda too. It's actually a YouTube channel and it's a great way to keep yourself entertained. There's anything from one minute to five minute to 10 minute videos. Yep. Some of the classics you could watch are 23 funniest Imzimam runouts. They're quite funny. Chris Martin compilation of getting bold. Not the Coldplay singer, by the way, the former New Zealand bowler. It gives every batsman hope watching him get bold. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's Shane Watson's best DRS reviews. Um, so if you watch that, it could be quite fun as well. So Robe Linda 2, R-O-B-E-L-A-N-D-A 2. It's a guy called Rob Moody. He runs the channel. Go up there. It's quite entertaining. So it has funny stuff, but it also has sort of the serious moments of cricket. Very entertaining indeed. Yeah. And he's got loads, some really good historic footage on there as well, doesn't he? Which I think yeah. he's done a really good job of kind of archiving some of the stuff from the 80s and, and even earlier. So yeah, I, I, I definitely second that. Okay. My next one would be, actually, it's a movie. Uh, I'm going to go with a Lagan. Also, like my previous pick, very long. Lagan, <laughs> in case any of you are, are not... You're a long-form guy. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Again, I think maybe cricket lends itself. So Lagan is, is a 2001 film produced by Amir Khan. Um, it's a very, very entertaining movie. It's really well made. It's, it's one of the, I think, the, the best Bollywood movies of the last kind of 20 years. And not just because it's about cricket, but it's actually quite well made. It's a really good story. It's about a kind of Indian village that is, it's under British control at this time. The British are, are very clearly the villains. Um, no, no, no complaints here. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, it ends up with them having to play, a, play and win a cricket match in order to secure their, can't remember if it's their freedom or their... Freedom! Or, or not have it's to, like Braveheart. Yeah, basically, or, or not pay taxes. And, and, and this hinges... It's Braveheart on the cricket field. This hinges on them winning a cricket match. And, and you know, the Brits think they're just going to walk it. And then you have all these Indians who are not so used to cricket, but, you know, they have innate skills and character. And also they've got Amir Khan. Um, of course they do. And, and the Brits just have a bunch of stiff blokes with moustaches. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's there's a... There's an English, an English maiden who's always casting kind of furtive glances at Ahmed Khan because, you know, he's so dashing. It's three hours long, but it's actually a lot of fun. I really, really recommend it. There's also a great documentary on the making of it. It was an absolute nightmare to make, but by all accounts, it, they, they had to do it in the middle of nowhere and, you know, doing something on that, on that scale in India really hard and there's a really good book about it as well which we can talk about in the next episode but a really good book by one of the uh, one of the bit part british actors in it about his experience of being on the set which also includes a cricket match they actually had a cricket match between the indian uh, the indians on the production and the brits on the production and i will i'll save the the result for our next episode yeah. Everyone's waiting with bated breath for that. Mostly because I don't, I don't remember. I need to go and check. But yeah, what, what have you got? What's next? Well, I, I've got one last one that I was sort of looking through, you know, famous cricket movies and documentaries. And I came across this amazing Australian movie. <laughs> and it's called I Know How Many Runs You Scored Last Summer. It's a slasher horror movie. And basically it's about a cricket team being dismissed or murdered by a mustachioed British serial killer with a razor-sharp cricket glove and an arsenal of sharpened stumps 
one by one, the killer exacts revenge for the torment he endured 20 years earlier in the cricket team. So it's basically a Freddy Krueger with cricket. The guy is very funny. I watched the, um, the trailer for it. He actually runs around killing people with a cricket helmet on and whites and pads. <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, it sounds insane. And I, I, I'm just a bit worried because at this fragile time for the world, I, I worry that this, this movie may, may, may not be what's called for, Darren. <laughs> Push people over the edge. Yeah. It's only for the strong, the strong of mind yeah, so, and constitution, yeah. I think. So th- this one comes with a, with, a, with a warning. There's a few other documentaries. I must confess I haven't watched these, but they always come up um, when people talk about like, the best cricket documentary. So there's The Edge, which Toby talked about on a previous show. That's the... Oh, of course. Have you, You've watched it. Yeah, of course. Okay, give us, a, give us a little review of that one then. So again, it really goes behind England's win in 2010, 2011, it's when I they get It's when they get to the top of the rankings, I think, under Andy Flower. It's the Andy Flower, Andrew Strauss era. Regime. Yeah. Yeah, and the highlight is when they obviously dominate Australia in Australia and win 3-1, I think it is. I think it was. Was it 4-1 in 2010, 2011? 3-1. Um, yeah. yeah. And they dominated Australia like it wasn't even a contest, really. They just totally flattened, and they had a that was good a hell team of a as well. Team. And they went to Indian one in 2012. I That's think. right. Yeah. So it documents that journey. It's not as you don't get the inside view as much as you do with with the test by any means, but definitely it's, it's propaganda for England. It shows how they got to number one ranking. You know, before they got to number one, they were really down the dumps, right? And that sort of rebuilding process and how they got to that high level, it's definitely worth watching and kind of interesting. Mm. Um, another one that we both have watched is Cricket Fever, of course, on Netflix. Of course. I think that's that's very good from, from the fly-on-a-wall perspective as well. Um, it's it's a season, or is it two seasons? I can't remember. Uh, in, I think it's one season with Mumbai Indians, Mumbai right? Indians, yeah. I think there's another season coming. It gets a little repetitive after you get to the, kind of the halfway point in the season, but uh, it gives you a really good insight into the players, I think, especially the um, the stories behind some of these players, and, and in particular the Indian players. And I think we talked about this before. It just shows you their kind of quite modest origins in, in many cases. Yeah, whether it's Jasper Bumrah and... Hadik Pandya, where they've come from and how they, you know, deal with their parents and stuff. It's, it's really heartwarming. It's, it's very nice. The Pandya great, brothers. Great and of course, it, it, uh, we talked about the starring role for one of our favorite characters, the Ambani Jr. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, one of your favorites. He, he, really, um, he really came out well from the show. And then a few others that I haven't actually watched, but I am told are quite good. One is Out of the Ashes. It's a documentary about the rise of Afghan cricket from war to test status, which actually sounds quite good. Haven't watched it. Um, there's one on Bodyline, came out in 2002, called Bodyline. It's just not cricket. There's a Bodyline series that was done in the 80s, I think, in Australia. We watched it on TV. but it's, That's it's, a movie, isn't it? Was it a movie or a series? Yeah, I, oh, it's a series. Yes, yes. It's, it's a series. series yeah. But, it, but it's, it's, I think the story is interesting when you're a kid to watch it, but it, I remember the production quality being pretty ordinary. Yeah, that's an old movie. Yeah. And then there's one here, I, I don't know anything about this, but I, I, have read, I have read Cricket War by Gideon Hay about the whole Packer thing, which is fascinating. Um, there's, a, there's a documentary called How's That? Carry Packer's War. I haven't watched that either, but I did come across it. Yeah, that sounds quite good. I'd, I'd quite like to find that because I find that whole story fascinating. The whole 
the packerization of cricket. Oh, it changed the whole world, Ch- right? Changed cricket, cricket completely. And can you imagine what a huge shock it must have been to everyone? I mean, imagine if it happened now. You know, it's yeah. it's it's quite it quite a remarkable story. Well, I'll touch on it next week. There's a book that I've read that talks about this might happen in mm. the future. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. We'll talk about that next okay. week. So that's some viewing suggestions. I mean, obviously, please, any of our listeners, if you have any other uh, cricket viewing that is helping you get through this period, please let us know. We'll be happy to share it on the show. And, and quite frankly, I think we'd be wel- we'd welcome the suggestions um, to watch ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the cricket world during COVID-19, Darren. How, how, how are elite cricketers, at the very least, surviving? Well, they're doing a lot of posting, aren't they, on their social media channels. They're trying to sort of outdo each other, whether they're practicing in their hallways at home or, or you know, doing the latest workout regime. They seem to be utilizing social media as much as they can at the moment. Well, you know, they're all brands, aren't they? They have to, they have to maintain their brand of value at this time. They'll be okay. I think the big concern, obviously, is um, they represent a tiny proportion of people who make a living out of cricket. Um, and, you know, like any industry right now, cricket is in serious jeopardy. Um, it's, a, it's a sport that requires viewers. Uh, and, it, and in many cases, it requires a lot people to come in person. Um, so there's three, I think there's three big tournaments that are in peril, starting with the IPL. What's the latest on that? They've said they're going to start for mid-April, but I don't see it happening, do you? It seems a bridge too far. When India's gone straight into lockdown, haven't they, this week? Yeah. I can't imagine having an India anyway, unless they played it somewhere else. I don't see people would be ready by then. Nobody's really training or practicing. Um, nobody's traveling now. People can't travel there. Uh, the international players, so whether they do it at a later time, that remains to be seen. There's talk about delaying the Cricket T20 World Cup to next year. I think they'll probably wait. There's, there's a meeting coming up in the ICC in May. I think they'll decide then. I think it's still a long time away. It's still end of October, November. So I think there's still time to play there with that. My gut feeling is that will go ahead. I'm hoping it goes ahead because I have um, the best tickets in the house at the MCG. So I booked those very early on. But seri- in all seriousness, I think they'll go on. Um, but, I, but I think the biggest concern is, isn't it, it's for kind of first class players who make a living, who are not international players, right? Who Or who make money around the cricket, especially county cricket coming up. It should have started already, right? So there's a lot of, you know, smaller clubs that might go broke because they can't stay open. There's no games going on. Uh, I think England was already struggling with player bases and hopefully this could even be a deterrent going forward. So I I hope this thing ends quickly and we can get people playing cricket again in the UK, especially. And, you know, it's not just the players, is it? These clubs everywhere. I mean, this is is cricket clubs everywhere are, are in peril and the people who work for them you know, cricket teams, first-class teams, cricket clubs all employ people. And, you know, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, I think the English cricket season, they're saying May 28th, that's when the T20 blast is due to start. Can't see it myself. There's talk about them just doing the T20 blast and the, the 100 maybe because they might be losing a lot of the county games and some of the international games. Like the West Indies series might not happen. That's in June. They might even just – because what they need to do is get broadcast numbers up, people watching stuff. So they probably want to do whatever they can to get people interested in the game. And I think the 100 is definitely that. Whether that works out or not, because they can't get international players in at the time, they might postpone that for a while. But you think the blast or something, they've got to make something happen in that, in that window, not just a West Indies test series. I think they need to, to have more than that. They have Pakistan coming towards the back end, right? I think 
July or August. So that, that might happen. But they do need some kind of top-notch cricket, I think, on TV there yeah. somehow. I mean, in many respects, you could say cricket is built for what being watched on TV, right? Because, you know, a lot of matches don't attract sure. that many spectators. But I don't know, will broadcasters bulk at, at uh, matches in empty stadiums? I mean, we're already seeing in, um, of course. in football that broadcasters are asking for their money back uh, if uh, if tournaments are cancelled or postponed. I mean, that would be critical yeah. for cricket. You know, the, the ECB has spent all its money on the 100. It has. They, they've been very clear about this. The coffers are pretty bare. And, you know, you wonder, they don't have the money to, you know, they don't have emergency funds for clubs. Um, you're you're going to start to see conversations are, are about pay cuts i think coming in pretty soon i would imagine and it's going to be difficult for everyone uh, now look cricket is a sport there are far bigger problems the world is facing right now but i think we've all been reminded of how useful a distraction sport is you know but by the by the fact that we don't have it anymore i think exactly and i think you you hit the nail on the head to a degree right i mean it's not just the game itself, it's all the people who are involved in the game who make their living from the game, whether that's all the way through to local clubs, groundsmen, all the way through to the administrators uh, at the ICC in Dubai, right? So th there's people all around the world being affected by every sport. Yeah. And it's not about them not playing it, it's about the personal impact and people losing their livelihoods and losing their incomes. You know, as we know, in our industry, everybody's looking now at making these kind of cuts and reducing salaries and a lot of discussion going on about how long this COVID goes on for. And I think cricket's no exception. But it, it, it is amazing, though, because normally you'd have something to do at night, right? Watch some cricket from around the world. And what you find yourself doing is watching stuff you probably don't want to watch because there's no sport on, which is we've never been in this situation before, ever. Yeah, luckily, we still we, we have the test, although you finished it. You went or through I do, it. I do appreciate watching some of the replays on Star Cricket and stuff where, you know, they have things where Australia got beaten in 2016, 3-0 by Sri Lanka. They like playing that over and over again, I noticed. They, they love playing Australian, in Australian famous losses. That test I, is quite I, interesting. I, I didn't realize that I will watch it more often. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's a difficult difficult time for um, for all industries, but I think sports uh, will you know str a big struggle because of the importance, of course, of live live spectators. I mean, you think about how much money comes in on a match day, you know, from just from, for a, a county cricket club. Test match day is their biggest earner of the season. Food and beverage sales, all that kind of stuff, right? It's all gone. Yeah, it's all gone. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, um, I think we will leave. Should we finish with the Jack, Jack Leach quote? I thought it was quite good. Absolutely. Let's finish with a Jack so, Leach quote. With a public service message from the Cricket Ultras. So Jack Leach, Leach posted on Twitter, being boring is boring, guys. But if it gets the job done, it's definitely worth it. We are all batting at number 11. So let's not get ahead of ourselves and start playing shots. Defend your stumps, one ball at a time, and let Stokes do his thing. Hashtag stay at home. What I'm not sure about here is, is he saying that Stokes is the coronavirus? No, I mean, Stokes must be... Or maybe he's saying social distancing is Stokes. Is, yeah, or is Stokes the World Health Organization? Probably not. <laughs> I hope not. No, I hope not. Yeah. Is Stokes um, the people trying to develop a vaccine? Maybe. It's, it's a lot of pressure on Ben Stokes. Healthcare professionals maybe are the Stokeses. Yeah, it's, it's a they? lot of pressure on Ben Stokes, I feel. 
<laughs> he's got to save. He's got to save us from COVID as well. Look, <laughs> if anyone can do it, Ben Stokes can. Stokesy. <laughs> After the year he's had, I mean, why not? Why not? All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back um, soon. Take care and stay safe out there. <laughs>